0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Don, I had an interesting conversation this week with Daniel Eisenberg and Durendra Shukla from UNB. Eisenberg is a sort of globally recognized uh, expert in how you scale up companies. Um, He's written a book on the subject. He's got a a, a patented uh, or a trademark term, the scalinator, I think it's called. Uh, and a process, and uh, they're bringing that to Atlantic Canada with something called Scale Up Atlantic Canada, and they've, got a, they've already done this with another cohort. They're doing another cohort this year, and we had a good conversation about the program that I think will be interesting to the listeners, but I know you have a lot of thoughts on how we can, how we can sort of, or what it takes to see companies break out of this mold and, and go from you know, a million in sales or, or, or a relatively lifestyle-sized business you know, to something that's actually a serious business with five, 10, 15, 20 million in sales. So what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I've been through uh, three different scale-ups in my lifetime. Um, uh, the first thing I, I, I wanna say is uh, there's, a, there's a issue around ambition. Um, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a level of business where uh, entrepreneurs get quite comfortable. I don't know what the right number is. Some people say two million dollars in sales. <clears throat> you get to that level things are going well, you're making a good living you know uh, you, you don't want to really you know press forward with anymore because you're comfortable. Uh, the other The other thing that goes along with that is I think I've talked to you in the past before is that in order to uh, scale up uh, the entrepreneur has to give up some level of control in their company to others. Uh, that's a difficult moment for most entrepreneurs. It was for me uh, because uh, when you run your own business, you're fully in charge um, you know you make all the decisions um, you're 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 the quality control person. you know what what can go out the door and you don't want you don't want to see that quality diminish and, and and honestly most entrepreneurs feel that nobody can do it better than them, which is obviously a false a false way of looking at things so the ability to scale up really depends on ambition you know how big uh, do you want to build your business Uh, how willing are you to share in that growth by delegating to others and 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 giving up a level of control that is that is kind of the big moment for for companies um, to get beyond you know a a comfortable scale of doing business Um, there's another factor that's somewhat unique to Atlantic Canada, David, as well, is that, you know, we have proportionally a smaller private sector than anywhere else in the country. Um, there's lots of reasons for that. And, uh, you know, we've talked about some of them in the past. So, you know, that's a bit of a problem. And and on top of that, proportionally our businesses are much smaller. We have very few large private sector organizations in this region uh, and, 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 by the way, the definition that I normally use is, you know, employment of over 500 people. So just to give a perspective, you know, it, it, that varies. But just for our region, that's, it's a pretty good number. If you're in the United States, a large company is, you know, much bigger number than that. But but in Canada, it's a different sort of a standard. So those are a couple of the things that I think uh, hurt in terms of scaling up our region. The pool of opportunity is a little smaller and um you know we don't have a lot of role models as well i mean there have been some recent role models as we've talked about on this podcast that have gone from nothing to um you know uh, a billion dollars in capitalized value so it's possible to happen and i understand that that blair hislop and his wife uh, uh, were involved with this group and and they have had great success scaling up their Mrs. Dempster uh, bakery business. So, you know, there's a there's proof that their methodology uh, works. Um, um, and you know, I have I have my own methodology. I'd like to be able to compare notes with them. But uh, I think it's important to have uh, uh, opportunities like this brought to our region uh, so that we can get our private sector to be more important in terms of economic growth.
0: So the conversation was filled with little nuggets of uh, wisdom. Uh, they talk about getting customers first before investment. So they, they want their, their companies to build uh, actual customers, actual products before worrying about investment, which goes to your point about uh, eventually getting capital. He talked about E equals VC squared. Uh, and he wasn't talking about venture capital. He was talking about value creation. And so the real focus is on value and creating value and new value in the company. So, And the other thing that he said, which was very interesting, is their, their basic analysis would suggest there's between two and 4,000 companies in Atlantic Canada right now that have this high growth potential. So the idea of trying to find those and unlock that opportunity, I think, you know, would be an interesting focus for for the economic development community in this region.
1: Well, you know, two to 4,000 companies that could be scaled up, that's not an insignificant number. Um, But my experience in in scaling up companies is is, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, First of all, you have to have the ambition, as I mentioned, and you have to be a bit aggressive, honestly, You know, that's the old hockey player in me, I think, you know, I get my elbows up when I need to and, um, you know, go for it. Uh, But, you know, there's only a few things that that need to be done to grow your business uh, to scale. Um, One is markets. You know, what what are the markets that you operate in? So, you know, the easiest thing to do is go to a new market to grow your to grow your business. I did that uh, num- numerous times. The other thing to do is to uh, develop new products or add new services to your offering. Again, I did that uh, in, in, in every business that I was involved in. And, and, and you know, you can grow the top line uh, for sure. <clears throat> it's got to be well managed uh, when you when you go to new markets or you add new products and services for sure. But you got to be thinking beyond what you currently do. You know sometimes what you currently do can lead to a much bigger business but more often than not you need to add other components to your offering which includes where you where you where you do business and what kind of business do you do so you know for anybody out there listening who wants to scale up you know those are the elements that I I would look at and 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 having having this program the scale up program uh, is clearly important for uh, for some businesses like Mrs Dempster's. They've used it very successfully. So you know we have a role model for this uh, this uh, framework that they developed that uh, has shown that it can succeed. So, like I honestly, I I encourage everybody who's in business who who likes the business that they're in. I think that's really important too. You got to like the business that you're in. You know, look at the opportunities. You know, we used to think for a long time that our market was so small in Atlantic Canada, like you couldn't, you really couldn't build a business to scale. And now people are looking outside Atlantic Canada uh, really in a significant way. That's one of the big changes, by the way, that I've noticed over my career. Before, very few people looked outside the region for revenue and business. Now we feel we can compete with anybody. You know, that change in attitude is, I think, really important to the future of this region.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it's absolutely fundamental. We, uh, as you and I've talked about before, we import an awful lot of products and services and we need to balance that by having more and more exporters. And so it's great that our entrepreneurs are, are, are looking to build their markets well outside of the walls of Atlantic Canada. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Daniel Eisenberg and Durendra Shukla on Startup uh, Atlantic. Welcome to the Insights Podcast. Dan and Dorendra. Thank you. Thank you. So before we start talking about Scale Up Atlantic Canada, I'd like you to give our listeners an overview of your careers. You both have stellar careers. I've, I've known you both. I've followed you, uh, Dan, for a long time. And, of course, Dorendra and I, I've known Dorendra since, since she showed up at UNB a few years ago. So I w- I'd like you to... to um, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your background, how you got started, and how you ended up where you are today. And I know you've had a long and winding career, Dan, so maybe we'll start with you.
2: Uh, I'm, well, I'm over 70, so it's, it, it's not a short description, but I will make it short. I've a uh, PhD in social psychology, that, um, and then that very academic, but then started teaching at the Harvard Business School and began getting involved in real-world problems. Went to Israel in 1987. I say back to israel in 1987 even though i was born in the us i'd lived there got involved from the 1980s on in everything to do with the entrepreneurial call it revolution there it had a big impact on my view of ecosystems I was a venture capitalist created a company was involved with policy came back taught again and uh fast forward to now i do we as as for example scale up atlantic canada My main, quote-unquote, job is we run projects um, all around the world to foster growth using entrepreneurship as a wedge in a particular way. I also have a very broad portfolio of active direct investments and and venture funds uh, in um, four different continents.
0: Okay, thanks. So you're not planning on retiring anytime soon is what you're saying?
2: I'm not sure what that means. I can't spell retirement. (laughs) Uh, how about you, Dorender? Can you give our listeners
0: they, a bit as of As you know, your...
3: I've been on the podcast uh, before uh, uh, when talking about uh, the unicorns in the woods and, and things like that. So quite excited to be back and, and talking about uh, uh, scale-up Atlantic Canada. Uh, a little bit of my background, you know, uh, quick snapshot, born in India, uh, uh, grew, grew up in Zambia in Central Africa, went to school in the UK, and... Uh, moved to Canada to work for Nortel Networks. Uh, what an exciting journey and, uh, and the company, I was there for a while uh, and the company went bankrupt in, in 2009. I will not take any blame for the collapse of Nortel Networks. <laughs> I, I say that because many people come back to me and say, you know, my stocks did not do well. Uh, trust me, if their stocks did not do well, Minded terrible. <laughs> so, so, uh, 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 so that's a little bit uh, after the collapse of Northern, My division was acquired by Siena, and I opted to do uh, something different. Even though I continued to have a career at Siena, I decided to join academia, and so I moved to New Brunswick in two thousand and nine. Ha- and just uh, talking about how Dan and I sort of connected and uh, I was invited by the federal government uh, to talk about how Canada had failed to scale. And this was a small uh, committee that was brought together. And uh, the blame primarily was the universities have not built a culture uh, uh, to, for companies to think about scaling. And at that time, they were talking about how an organization like what Dan was doing and Babson was doing in terms of scaling was going to be phenomenal. Uh, uh, But Canada didn't have anything like that. And so I said said to that committee, so this report is going to come out. And what are we doing next? They said, "Uh, well, our job is to create the report. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, so the report came out, and I think the report is public about uh, about uh, my involvement in that report. And then uh, the f- first thing I did was come back as the, uh, and said, "I'm going to connect with Dan." Uh, and I had connected with Dan a few years back with uh, he uh, because of his relationship in the the uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem and the models he was building. Uh, he, he connected to, uh, you know, Gururaj Desh, Deshpande. And, and so I was saying, this is exciting. Let's reconnect, rebuild, restart this conversation. And that's how I reached out to Dan. And and, and I, I would say they're very excited about uh, working on our building the third cohort.
2: Um, Dan, before I forget, did you coin the term scale up? Well, no, I didn't coin the term scale up. Although I do have the trademark uh, for it in many countries um, for use in economic development and other specific uh, classes.
0: Okay, uh, Drander, I I, uh, I I know your origin story, and I think it's uh, you are an entrepreneur in your own right within the, the the university setting. You've done amazingly entrepreneurial things, and I would just say we're going to talk later about where the best entrepreneurs come from and the embers of failed corporations. There tends to be a lot of really cool people come out of those things. So I I really appreciate your story. Um, While I've got you here, before we talk about Scale Up uh, Atlantic Canada, I want to ask you a few questions about entrepreneurship in general because I've been studying this for 30 years and I still don't know that I have good answers to some of these questions. So if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to indulge me and we'll start, with you. we'll start with you, Dan, and then maybe Jordan, if you want to join in. But the first question
2: is, what is an entrepreneur? So I don't like to th- label people. Um, I like to talk about entrepreneurship uh, as, as something that people do. Um, and you can be an entrepreneur at time A if you engage in entrepreneurship, but if you stop engaging it, you stop being an entrepreneur at time B. Um, and... You know, this gets in my, my, the book that I published is now a decade called Worthless, Impossible and Stupid. Nobody ever gets to the part of the book that's really important, which is I define the phenomenon of entrepreneurship entirely in terms of value creation. Um, Entrepreneurship is not defined by the age of the asset. It's defined by the value that's infused in the asset it can happen in big companies, old companies, young companies, small companies, um, technology, non-technology, et cetera. The question is how much value is infused? Um, and I can get more academic than that, but that's, that's, the, that's at the heart of entrepreneurship is value creation. Um, and, but it has to be a value creation that's somewhat out of the ordinary. Um, by that means that if the value you create is, let's say, less than what you create without doing nothing, then that's not extraordinary value creation. There, there's an opportunity cost there. So again, this gets into academic things. I'm a practitioner, but it's important to understand theory as well. Mm-hmm. So entrepreneurship, in a nutshell, is what I call EV, EVs. Entrepreneurship equals VC squared is the extraordinary, uh, it's the creation and capture of extraordinary value. So... Part of the mix of entrepreneurship and what makes it outstanding is that the entrepreneur captures some of that value. It's not enough to just make that value for other people. And I'm not defining it only in terms of economic value. That's the easiest to talk about.
3: Right.
2: So entrepreneurship is the creation and capture of extraordinary value.
3: Uh, okay, i ju- J- jump, jump in in, in terms of uh, one thing that we have tried to do as, you know, we were recognized as one of the most entrepreneurial universities in Canada. What we did was how do we create uh, an ecosystem and a support environment that enables people to think that they can. And, and, uh, and some uh, why, uh, when Dan was talking about, not only create, but capture value. And and how do we put that framework in place? And some of those models were also brought in from some of the work that Dan had done and presented and published about uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem and what it takes to build those ecosystems. So what we did was how do we facilitate some of that conversation uh, taking place? How do we facilitate that? How do we enable uh, the uh I know uh, we talked about that sometimes most people think you're an entrepreneur, particularly uh, most people in the sense that if you have received venture capital, then you are this so-called uh, brilliant entrepreneur. And, and from our experience, that's that's not true. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's, it's uh, unfortunate that that has taken off, that in terms of entrepreneurship, if you're receiving venture capital, you are a unicorn, you're a Decacon, all of those terminologies start flying. Uh, it's It's unfortunate that we have carved it as as this is the, this is what success looks like. this is the person and it's unfortunate that that's not not true at all. It is just part of the story. So what do we do to en- enable and facilitate uh, that conversation to take place and become uh, that becomes a part of our DNA part of the way we do things that, everyone's welcome. Everyone's, uh, uh, is part of this entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial or scale up story that results in incredible amount of success. And we are just laying that, uh, the, uh, the foundation and enabling people to achieve amazing things. And, uh, and, uh, and, and you, you will learn more and more about, uh, what we're doing as, as, as this podcast continues.
0: Right. So, uh, About, I don't know, a decade ago or so, Dan, I heard you give a lecture on what the characteristics of an entrepreneur are, the successful entrepreneurs. You have studied that for many years. Can you give us some of the common characteristics of highly successful entrepreneurs? And take that wherever you want to go with it.
2: Well, they're a much smaller set than than people think. And, but, and, but the set of those characteristics doesn't guarantee that you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, but successful entrepreneurs, but successful people, successful people in many fields, they have a a tremendous amount of energy, commitment, um, they, uh, experiment and are not afraid to experiment, to learn from their mistakes. By the way, I don't, I don't subscribe to the notion that entrepreneurs embrace failure. I've had a big failure in my, in my business career. Uh, it's not at all fun. You do learn a lot from it, but um, I, what, I, what they do is they manage risk. So they're not great. They're not gamblers in that sense. Many people have said that, um, and it's true, that they manage risks uh, and focus those risks in those areas that they can exercise the most control over. So, for example, take the mountain climber. You know, is a mountain climber a risky person or not? Well, a mountain climber takes risks, but then does a huge amount to, uh, to manage those risks by having great equipment and great skill and great training. They don't just go dancing up mountains with no ropes and no crampons. So, uh, they're climbing a mountain, but they're doing an awful lot to make sure that they get through it safely.
0: It's been a long time, but I think you had indicated back then, and maybe you've changed your your research since then, but I think you indicated that entrepreneurs in general, these very successful ones, aren't very nice people. Now, nice is a term, I put that in brackets, and the reason I raise that is because Atlantic Canada is supposedly full of all these really nice people, and I wonder if they, can actually, do they actually have the instincts to be successful, highly successful entrepreneurs. So do, do you remember that? Like your research, I think it showed they had certain conditions. They had certain this and that. They were this, they were maybe counterintuitive on philanthropy. Do you want to weigh in
2: on the kind of, uh, that Wait, side me, of things? Let me correct that. Some of them are very nice and some of them aren't. Okay. What I think I, what is, what I, what sounds familiar to me would be something like modesty is great for friendship, but bad for business. That's not the same as being nice, but hiding your light under a bushel, so to speak. In other words, not talking about your successes, not talking about your growth because you think that's some form of modesty. It's very nice, but it doesn't help you grow. It doesn't help you motivate your team. It doesn't help you get customers and keep customers and get bankers and investors and so on and so forth. So if, if I said it that way, I, I would correct it to modesty is, is great for friendship. I love modest people, but it's not good for business. That doesn't mean that being a braggart is good either, but you have to communicate your successes.
0: Uh, Durander, what, what do you think? Do, do we have do, uh, the, do the people that you see coming through your programs have the instincts? Um, to be successful entrepreneurs,
3: David. The the reality is that we have done two cohorts, and uh, and the two cohorts, the results speak simply volumes. Uh, uh, in terms of outcomes, the results we saw in, in terms of their revenue growth uh, it was phenomenal. Uh, we the, the, in terms of uh, the, we collectively we grew. Uh, revenue in new revenue growth of over 20 million 21 million uh, new jobs created uh, was nothing to be sneezed at 100 over 160 uh, mm-hmm. jobs were created uh, exports outside the region had dr- drastically uh, increased uh, one and and then um, and then re- reduced dependency on a handful of customers was also uh, increased. So, 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 re- reality is that uh, I m- might not be responding to your uh, qu- question from, uh, from, you know, yet by just saying, uh, yeah, yes, it, it, yes, we can have large impact. But the results show, the results show that uh, that it is having a huge impact in 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 the community. It's having a huge impact on the businesses. It's building this momentum and excitement and the energy uh, that uh, that is uh, is exactly what we had hoped for, and it's happening. And that's what's uh, uh, great about about this partnership and relationship because we are seeing real results in real companies, and we are seeing the outcomes uh, come out and help uh, help our region overall. Because companies came from across Atlantic Canada, and that's what made it phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I'm really would, glad you're working together. Go ahead.
2: I, I just tie in what I said before with, with Dorendra's um, comments. Um, one of the things that we do teach them, and I think there's a long way to go, is how to identify small gro- growth events when they're still small and, and talk about them. We call it growth talk. So we have training. We It's one of the things we train the participants in is how do you sort of abstract those little growth events that happen on a weekly basis or can happen on a weekly basis. You don't have to wait five years and say, Oh, you know, finally I opened up a new, let's say, factory in wherever, in Southeast Asia. But you can Talk about hiring a few people, getting a new customer, expanding a contract, renewing a contract, expanding your your warehouse space. Those are all the harbingers of growth. And we teach people not to ignore those, but to amplify them. We still have a long way to go. It is not part of the culture. uh, And I think it should be. So
0: I guess what I'm hearing is that there's not some sort of cultural template for these High growth potential or highly successful entrepreneurs. In other words, you are not looking for cold blooded, steely eyed MBAs. That people with different personalities, different cultural backgrounds, and so on, can be highly successful entrepreneurs if the right conditions are in place. Is that what uh, what I am hearing?
2: I think I think you'll see all kinds of people who who looking back have become successful and have different personality styles. I mean, I think that over time, the, what you describe is it's kind of like. Um, what's a straw, a straw man, I should, we should say straw person, um, of the cold, you know, steely, it's an MBA, you know, I don't know if that really characterizes the MBAs that are coming out. Um, certainly there are some of those, but the ability to attract, retain and develop people, it's what we call building your capacity, your human capacity is essential to scaling up your business. And so whatever your personality is, if you can't motivate a team of people and build and motivate a team of people, ward them, make them feel that they can achieve, uh, then you're not going to succeed. Again, I don't think there's a recipe for that. I think it's always a blend of setting standards and hold, holding people accountable to performance, but also understanding when people make mistakes and supporting them. You know, th- there are a lot of contradictions, so to speak, or tensions in being a good entrepreneurial leader. Durindra, but, you are, but it's a teachable It's a teachable skill. It's a learnable skill. Learnable skill, yeah, okay. Durindra? I can't teach
0: anything I, you don't want to learn. I just
3: wanted to chime in when you talk. There are many people that uh, said, oh, this, this uh, you know, look at the – the type of uh, uh, people that are involved in the program, uh, I, they, they might feel that they don't have an academic background. They might not have a grad background. I want to say that, that's, uh, that that should uh, that should not prevent or hold anyone anyone back whatsoever. Uh, yes, it's connected to an institution. Yes, all of those things, but uh, but the learning from, from your own experiences is, is huge. Uh, having, we want those people at the table, some of the successes we have seen, and they were people that were uh, uncomfortable going into a university setting, or, or uh, uh, they, they have shown clearly that it's all about having the right attitude, being able to listen, be able to implement, collaborate, and the incredible results that they have brought to the table should encourage anyone and everyone thinking about what is the next stage for their company and organization to consider scale up Atlantic Canada. Because, because it, we've seen it, and like I said, those numbers speak volumes. It wasn't only people with these academic <laughs> credentials that did well, or 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 any elements like that. Uh, but it's it's a good question. Hmm.
2: I want, to, I want to build on that because mm-hmm. Dorinda is talking about the program that we run within a six month program run within the context of Scale Up Atlantic Canada. We call it the Scalarator, and the we, those are cohort based uh, programs. And what's amazing to see is we call this one of the aspect the Scalarator magic is you'll see a manufacturer of. Um, of muffins and donuts sitting together with a maker of ocean technology, together with a maker of men's fashion retail, fashion uh, and with, with deliverers of healthcare services and then software companies all meeting together. You think, oh my God, these have nothing in common. Well, it turns out not only do they have some things in common, but they also can really help each other because they, they offer each other very different perspectives. Mm.
0: Yes, and I understand that, that uh, uh, Blair uh, and Rosin Hislop are actually exporting into New England, <laughs> those donuts and muffins. So that's kind of cool. Um, well, can you?
2: And- sorry, go ahead. Well, Upstreet is with the manufacture of non-alcoholic beverages, which are fantastic. Uh, they've been starting to sell probably just on a pilot basis still, I'm waiting, uh, to, in the United States. And they're certainly expanding throughout Canada. They're developing new, new product categories and so on.
0: So I wanted to get into definitions just for our listeners. So can you define quickly the difference between a startup company and a scale-up company? Do you have any kind of a formal definition for us?
2: Well, if you're asking me, I don't. I don't like to. Um, uh, similar to entrepreneurs, I don't like to ascri- I don't think it's helpful to ascribe labels to the companies. Um, let's leave startups alone because those tend to be early stage, young companies that haven't proven themselves. So let's leave them aside. Um, let's talk about scale ups or what you. I, I don't think it's helpful. I think it's again helpful to think of a process of scaling up. If you start to designate companies, you're a scale-up and you're not a scale-up, that has a couple of disadvantages. One is if you're not a scale-up, you may say, okay, forget it. I'm not going to try anymore. And you are a scale-up. So you can, okay, I can sit back and rest on my laurels. But it's a process. And it's a process of ongoing continual growth. That's scaling up is more important than having scale-ups. And I refer to the scale-up purpose uh, from a, a societal point of view, and this you didn't hear ten years ago, as more and more local firms growing more and more rapidly, that's what we're trying to accomplish. It's a trajectory; it's not it's a, it's a journey, not a destination.
3: Yeah. So, okay. uh, Dorendra, you want to weigh building, in? So, you know, when when most people think of startups, they're like, oh yeah, they are they're looking at uh, early product market fit. What stage of financing, and you know, all that's where they're crafting the conversation on, on, on startups. Uh, in in the scale up story, we have seen companies, you know, whether you are at uh, it, it's a different, a slightly different stage of the company, uh, and it's independent of the uh, the uh, the market they they're based in. But, but what they are able to do is bring uh, the thought process of what does it take to move this company into the uh, uh, into the new growth phase? What does that look like? What does the system and a process look like if it's all about, because it's all about the process and the mindset of accepting that. So, so uh, building on what uh, Dan was saying that, uh, you know, uh, if we park the, 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 the startups, the scale-ups, we've seen them range from, a million uh, in in the cohort a million plus slightly over a million all the way to 25 26 million dollars and and if you can see that uh, 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 that range the other thing when uh, when when we looked at that was how they're able to work with each other to help and solve problems that uh, that are that are common amongst all of them whether it's hiring of talent, uh, resources, all of those things, they can collaborate and work on collectively, and that is the momentum that is cre- been created, and that's what is very, uh, uh, very exciting about what's going on.
2: Okay, but I want. Sorry, go ahead. If yeah. Guess if you take all of Atlantic Canada, and you guess how many companies exist that have immediate potential. For growth, immediate meaning with a little bit of training, a little bit of encouragement, uh, can increase their growth rate significantly. What what number would you come up with? We did this exercise: a hundred, ten, a thousand, a million. How many? What do you think the number would be?
0: I have no idea. I think it'd be a pretty small number, but maybe maybe not, depending on how you define
2: it. So, what what, what did you guys come up with? It's between two and four thousand. Two and four thousand. Wow. Right between 2 and 4,000 I can explain the logic behind that but that translates into tens of billions of dollars of growth potential right there right there yeah which which
0: leads me into my next question which is why does Atlantic Canada even need entrepreneurs why don't we just let the big multinationals the big huge well established companies do all the work what's the purpose of, of, of investing in and building these, these, these sort of more speculative companies when we have, you know, big multinational firms that are, that are, that have research departments that have huge teams working on innovation. Why do we need entrepreneurs?
2: You mean, you mean the non-risky ones like Nortel and uh, Blackberry? Is that (laughs) the ones you're talking about?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Touche. So why do we need them? Is is that the point to put the big companies out of business? Like what? What? Why do we? Why do we need uh, entrepreneurs? Why do we need these small firms that that are cranky and that don't like status quo and that want to shake things up? I,
3: I think uh, it's it's important to understand that there is space for all sorts of uh, players. Uh, there is space to disrupt. I know when we talk about disruption, you know, we we think of uh, our late, late friend uh, Clay Christensen, uh, you know, uh, but but the reality is that uh, there is enough market. There's enough opportunities. Uh, in a, uh, the the if if we go back to our previous conversations, what are entrepreneurs doing? They they are creating and capturing value. The only way the only way they can create and capture value is if there is a need and a want for what they're offering. Um, and it, uh, you could argue it isn't this a war between David and Goliath, but ultimately there is that, that's not the case. They are creating and crafting new uh, opportunities. They're looking and creating and solving new ways of doing things. and and that is that is what is very exciting that they are their new uh, offerings, new products, new solutions, new way of doing things that make our society and community better. That's why uh, some of the elements you talked about, you know, um, uh, why do we need to do this? Do we have enough? Well, the thing is, we need to create that culture. There is noise and excitement in our, uh, in our region globally, locally, regionally, nationally, that, that creates this conversation of these companies are doing incredible things. Let's rally around them. And if they can do it, they'll inspire others to do it. And it has so much excitement and energy that, uh, that it's really worthwhile to, to focus on. And, and is it worthwhile doing it? Saying, why not? Uh, the question is, why not? And, and can we afford not to do it? Can we afford not to have this economic growth in our region? Can we afford not to be thinking of scaling and supporting local businesses can our story only be how can we, uh, how can we be Amazon's uh, uh, you know warehouse for stories? I'm sure there's a reason to have that too, but why not enable our our businesses uh, uh, to scale and grow and make an impact globally? And and I th- I think if if anything, we should be doing more of this and creating a larger movement. Of excitement, energy around this space, and uh, uh, that's why this 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 partnership and relationship is phenomenal. And many people think about why uh, why Atlantic Canada. And you know, I'm a huge advocate for Atlantic Canada. I say if any place, it is Atlantic Canada, because Atlantic Canada it, it's it's the living lab. It's 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 the place where you can bring uh, bring amazing people together. You can begin to tell their stories, network them, and elevate the conversation very quickly as compared to uh, other places. And we are seeing it, and that's beautiful.
2: I, I, I want to piggyback on this and, and completely agree. Uh, come back to the scale-up purpose, David. Um, if if your objective is more and more local firms going more and more rapidly, and I will add to the benefit, not for the benefit, to the benefit of all, then you need all kinds of actors there. You need a whole a, a full spectrum of private sector players. You also need a spectrum of public sector, education sector, and so on actors. There has to be diversity, there has to be complexity and the so you know the the notion that you can wave not you but someone can wave a magic wand and say let's have 10 of these and 15 of those and 3 of those that's enough not 4 we just want 3 it it just doesn't exist but this dynamism of growth of growth that's really makes a society healthy and generates resources that can be used to address other kinds of social problems
0: or okay so so I want to ask you where where these high growth potential entrepreneurs come from. And so 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 if you look at the most successful firms that were started and still exist in Atlantic Canada, they're almost all based on a natural resource: forests, blueberries, fish. Um, there's very few that are based on ideas. There's a few, no doubt about it. But there's there's very few historically. We've been interviewing many of the top uh, business leaders for this podcast, and they do they do. Uh, seaweed, and they do aquaculture, and they do forest products. So I guess the question I want to ask you too is where do these high growth potential entrepreneurs come from? Do they come first, out of universities? First of, all, they're
2: there. Hmm? first of all, they're there. They're already there. I said already, there are two two to 4,000 companies that have immediate growth potential. You have okay. to sort of get the cobwebs out of your eyes. Not you, David, but we have to get no, the I, cobwebs I out of our eyes of, of thinking that this is the kind of company they need these high, you know, Big swinging, shake it up, you know, bust up disruptive companies. No, there are going to be some of those. And then there's some of that plot away at eight, nine, 10% a year, 5% this year, 20% the next year. And what's wrong with basing it on natural resources? That's not necessarily extractive. But what you see is because of the existence of natural resources or what other kinds of resources that you have that are local, including UNB which is not just about, you know, building more trees and having more fish, but it's also software and, and all kinds of sciences. Those are your natural resources. And, and entrepreneurs take those and create value out of them. That's what they do. We've seen companies, for example, you have oceans, right? Well, ocean sonics isn't just Depleting, uh, uh, depleting the oceans of fish. It's creating technology to understand the oceans better and use use that that knowledge. So I think these distinctions, you know, I understand that you make them and other people make them. I think they're unhelpful.
0: No, yeah. oh, that's good to know. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so I, but I do have to ask you about capital, right? Because I, again, we're, we're, I'm asking you the, the serious questions. And if, if, if you have contrarian answers, I love contrarian answers. But historically, it's been very difficult to get the kind of scale up money, let's say. And this has been a story forever here. If you need 10000 or $20,000, there's all kinds of sources. But if you need a million or more, there's very few. Maybe this is more a question for you, Durendra, and then Dan, you can weigh in. But is it easier now? to get access for an Atlantic Canada entrepreneur to get access to this significant capital yeah, uh, needed. To so David,
3: if, if I look at it this way, if if a local, uh, if a, a regional uh, company is mainly exporting, mainly exporting uh, outside the region and outside of Canada, there's a lot of energy and excitement around that. If If those companies, have a business model that is scalable and that is a core co- uh, component of uh, the scale-up program, if they have a model that is is scalable is, uh, is, uh, and they have export potential and they're growing at a rapid pace, money will follow them. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I think of many companies locally, regionally that have actually Uh, broken that mold and have access to capital, whether I I know what we are saying around uh, the startup or uh, they have pulled in resources, money outside the traditional um, uh, local uh, resource structure, whether it's the province or the federal government. They've acquired capital that is global capital. And that would go for the same with 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 the scale up companies. Firstly, is how can they generate that revenue internally uh, is is a core com- uh, component of what is uh, what what is in the scale up program, and and we should really look at that as uh, as a huge way uh, of uh, of catapulting those companies into in, into a hemisphere that just simply. Uh, helps them grow and grow and grow ra- rather than this thing that if I don't get this government funding or support, I can't uh, grow my company. Firstly, how do they grow uh, internally? Mm. And then, and if needed, there is global potential for capital. And it has been done in Atlantic Canada by many companies.
2: Okay. Yep. So, so, um You asked for even contrarian viewpoints. So I'm going to go back to the basics. If you, if you build a company based on very limited external resources, money resources, you find customers, you sell to those customers, you have such a great product that you sell at a profit. You take some of that profit and you put it back into growing the company and you keep doing it and doing it and doing it. You need external capital it will find you. That's the job of, of, of capital is to find growth. It's not the job of growth to find capital from a societal mm-hmm. perspective. So if you, if you build it profitably, they will come. What we teach in the Scalarator is how to build using existing resources, how to build a more profitable, growing, scaling business that's sustainably scalable, sustainably growing. You do that, first of all, You're also shielding yourself against the ups and downs of external capital markets, which we're experiencing right now. You have a business based on customers. You are resilient. You have a business based on investors. You're vulnerable. So just build the companies. Good entrepreneurs will build the companies that they can build with the resources that are available relatively available if you're trying to start a semiconductor fab in atlantic canada you're probably not doing the right thing i don't know what the number is today it used to be a hundred million dollars it's probably up to a half a billion dollars that you need to build one of those that's probably doing the wrong thing so again i i want us to uh clear our minds of this notion that entrepreneurship is built only on raising capital Let's build a concept that entrepreneurship is first and foremost about building a business based on customers. <laughs> I know that's old-fashioned. No, but we. Need, mo- I think we. I think in the, the modern mo- world we need that. Yeah. Let me give you an example from Israel that's not well known outside of Israel, but I know it intimately. Arguably, the most valuable company in Israel makes cutting tools. It's the largest cutting tools manufacturer in the entire world. It's called ISCAR. It was built without external capital. It was built on the philosophy of getting a customer. It was built on the philosophy of serving that customer well. Warren Buffett bought the company first, his first, uh, out, uh, international acquisition in 2006. It ended up being for $8 billion in cash. He bought the company, still holds it. So, uh. Uh, this, this, of course, there are lots of technology companies in Israel, and Iscar also has technology in it, but it was built around customers.
0: Okay, okay. Let's turn to Scale Up Atlantic now, because that's really what we want to talk about in the in the last few minutes we have here together. Can you can you maybe start with you, Dorendra? Can you define what it is uh, exactly? So it's targeting companies. How many companies? How do you define those targets? Do they apply? Can so, you give us a little background so, on the uh,
3: Firstly, itself? we are looking for companies uh, in the region. And when we say region, we are looking for companies within Atlantic uh, Canada, and we are looking for companies that are million plus in revenue. Uh, the application process is open. They can co- uh, connect with me and we will work with them to get the applications uh, done. Uh, very quickly, we will work with uh, with with the CEO and the team to uh, prepare them for uh, for the cohort onboarding uh, interview process. All of those things we will we will uh, we will do that. The program uh, launches in July. We are looking for a comp- uh, about uh, about a cohort of uh, thirteen to fifteen companies. And, and uh, the reality is that it's the, we're looking for the founders, uh, we're looking for the CEOs, we're looking for the leaders to have the right mindset of uh, being excited coming in and looking for growth and new, uh, new ways of doing things. And that's, that's, that's the, what we're looking for in terms of uh, uh, the next cohort. And like Dan already mentioned, it's a six month program and the commitment is uh, about one and a half days uh, every four couple of weeks, four weeks, so a month.
2: I would say, I would add to that, that one of the unique aspects of Scalarator, there are many or several, um, but one of them is that it's for the CEO mm-hmm. owner and their teams, not necessarily their entire team, but it also seen uh, in the case of one company that they closed their they close their shop occasionally to bring their entire company or almost entire company to the workshop. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not for the lone wolf CEO owner. It's for the CEO owner that has the beginnings, at least the beginnings of a team and they come, they work together. So you don't have the problem of, Oh, the boss went to a workshop. Let's wait about a week till that blows over, uh, when they come back home you the decisions are being made and implemented on the spot
0: you you guys said earlier that it's not specific to s- certain sectors but is there other common themes like do they have to be technology based or going to be is it pretty wide not open wide in terms open. of the sector totally or that bad. type of thing
2: they have to have a certain certain level of sales revenue, so they're not an idea they have a certain product market fit already established. They are, have ambition high, the owners have high ambition. There's a, a core of a leadership or a seed of a leadership team there. They are owners. In fact, they have a scalable business model and, and also a certain amount of willingness to learn. Um, that's, you know, openness to learning. And I think they, you know, they wouldn't show up if they didn't, but that's something we want to establish and also to help others learn.
0: Are they mostly young or are you seeing entrepreneurs even in their forties? <laughs>
3: uh, higher, uh, no, I'm,
0: higher. Higher than 40. Okay, good. All Great. ages. Well, I, there's hope think, for me. I'm going to put uh, Jupia Why consultants not? to render in the in the, in the, in the scalinator how's that? I,
2: I, I don't know if he can, I don't know if he can mention names, but, um, one of the companies it was the father they're well known so I don't know if I can mention the name but a great okay. company and the father and son were both there and one of the issues they worked on was on transition as the father wanted to hand over more and more of the of the leadership to his son in this okay. particular case yeah so how's it How's it
0: paid for? Do the, do the companies pay or is there public support or is there, what's, so the, it's, what's the funding uh, the model? Funding the
3: funding model problem. is S, the companies pay. Uh, I, I, I would call it a nominal fee, honestly. Uh, and it is funded by both uh, the provincial and federal government at the same time. Yeah, so it's, by, you could say you could say
0: okay. and then- part of
3: the funding and, and we take that funding and leverage it against provincial and federal dollars.
0: And what happens after graduation? So do they, do they kind of stay connected to you? Like, how, I mean, obviously you're tracking their revenue growth, Dorendra, you talked about that earlier. So what happens they, they to graduate, them, do they graduate?
3: Firstly, they, they, uh, they, they come in and celebrate each other. They're constantly looking for, for example, when we said that we're uh, in July, we are coming together. The alumni base is going to be back at uh, uh, together, uh, working together. Uh, you know, it's all about relationships. It's not just simply you, you have finished the program, get out. Uh, <laughs> you're done. Don't talk to us again. It's all about relationships. It's all about uh, and the types of people that are, uh, that are involved in, in, the, in the program. And, uh, and I'm sure Dan will uh, articulate it even better. The focus is on the three C's. Uh, the three Cs being, you know, how do we look at um, customers and and build out the customer base, and then you know, uh, uh, then then Dan talked about processes, and then that's the, the, the linking linking all of that to capacity and process, and then uh, and then the cash component. So all of those those three Cs as the pillar of the program coming together. Because and the experts that uh, that Dan and the team bring to uh, because the they come into the program the relationships are built and those relationships are friendship and 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 are meaningful and productive and they help each other so those relationships continue and have continued.
2: By the way, you mentioned the the experts the core faculty are people who are experts in the three Cs, but have actually grown real businesses, big and small, um, in the real world, in addition to being good MBA teachers. But they've grown businesses themselves. I would say we have grown businesses ourselves.
0: So Dan, I wanted to ask you specifically why why do this? I think it was touched on a little earlier, but why why do this in Atlantic Canada? You do, you do this all over the place. You're involved in these types of projects globally. Was it just that Durendra was sort of insistent or what, was he a good salesperson? Like, Why did you agree to put on this program in, in Atlantic Canada?
2: Look, working with the motivated partners makes all the difference in having impact. So if you have a motivated local and competent local partner, uh, then you can have an impact. And we do it to have an impact. We created the Scalarator um, for a particular purpose, not just to help the companies. That's good, to help the companies is good. We can do that in lots of different ways, but it's also to create change and impact in regions. That's why all the companies come from Atlantic Canada, even though they're, it's pretty far flung. different areas but they come together and it's part of changing a culture it's going to take time but building critical mass of these growing companies and awareness of these companies that are growing and their growth that will create a a common belief that atlantic canada is a good place maybe even an excellent place to grow a real business so So, we do uh, it Go ahead.
0: Go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask you, are you, are you looking for companies to
2: invest in personally, Personally, I never invest in companies that, uh, are uh, participated in the Scalarator that would create a tension that I don't think is healthy. Okay. Um,
0: Durander, I wanted to ask you where this fits in the whole support ecosystem. We've got Volta and Ignite and Propel and lots of different players, uh, in the support to entrepreneurs space. Can you define where this program sits yeah, in the um, whole ecosystem?
3: Where it's it, it, where it sits is that uh, there aren't similar programs to what we are what we're doing and 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 what we we're we building and that movement we're talking about building. Other places are incubators uh are early stage support organizations they provide space they provide programming they provide a networking spot but this 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 organize uh this movement around scale up and the what the accelerator program is doing about bringing like minded people or even not like minded people just bringing these organizations together that really want to grow themselves while have an impact in in their community regional region and the the whole act of growing naturally has that domino effect of inspiring collaborating helping all of those things so, so, uh, so there, while there is a broad set of programmings, like you've mentioned, what, even as uh, last week I, I was talking to uh, people from Halifax, there isn't a similar program to this. And the reason uh, that they, they see that is, is because we are able to really clearly define and articulate what the program is all about, what the outcomes are what the process looks like and and as a result bring their teams together to really accelerate that growth that would have been far more challenging if this simply the ceo came in and oh, if you look at the example that dan gave so the ceo w- went on a retreat came back and everyone's like oh my god well, <laughs> what is this go to, this <laughs> run from this uh, uh, I, I, until he uh, he or she cools down for example this is this is the whole team coming together working on their uh, on uh, on on the company working uh, in the company on the company and developing the plan and execute uh, executing right there we've seen when when Dan talked about some of the teams were bringing large po- parts of their teams shutting down their company to be here because they saw sheer, Value of of being to working together and collaborating and moving the conversation to the next level, and when they saw that happening, we would see them work all night, and we're like, "Well, don't you?" They said, "No, no, no, we are going back to continue the conversation, going back to implement, going back to talking about it over dinner while they were here from other other parts of Atlantic Canada," and that was very exciting, and and. And the rush that gave uh, all of us was, was, was. You can't just capture it in words because it just moved them and created a, a momentum and energy that they had never seen before.
2: Yeah, you should, you should come, drop in, one of the workshops.
0: Absolutely.
2: Um, I well, wanted to make one other comment from a societal point of view. Um, you know, startups are wonderful and all of my personal investments, which is a couple dozen now um, of the companies that are still alive um, are in startups. But from a societal point of view, the numbers of startups that actually succeed is very small. Succeed in generating growth is very small. And secondly, it takes a long time. 10 to 20 years is probably a reasonable rule of thumb. Uh, anything outside of anything shorter than that is just a, an outlier. Even though the mythology is is different, uh, but it's mythology. So if some things, in order to have a societal impact, have to happen quickly. So we work with companies that already have shown product market fit in order to show quickly that they can grow. That's really important, as Dhirinder talked about the motivation, the excitement, the you know the the energy that this generates. When you can see growth happening before your eyes, it generates. Excitement, enthusiasm, and, and when other people see it, they say, I want to do that too. You have to wait 10 years for it. It happens mm-hmm. in weeks. It starts to happen in weeks. That's mm-hmm. another piece of the Scalarator magic. And, and I'll give see you an, it a, a specific you
3: example. It yeah, uh, one it. of the companies was struggling about how do we get from a HR, hire this type of a person from uh, from uh, from Europe somewhere. Uh, another company said, hey, we already have a system process. We already know the people. Come sit with us and we'll sort it out for you. Like if, if the HR people had not come together, build that relationship, collaboration, and say, hey, we will share, we will help each other. And that is the the, the momentum about helping each other just r- grow together and 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 in many cases, the conversation about how could we even do businesses together—that was those are all things that are happening because you are able to build trust not only between the the the, the CEO, president, and the leader, but cross organizations.
2: Okay, go ahead. I'm going to have to get a hop over to England in two minutes because we're running a program next month called driving economic growth through scale-up ecosystems in the UK, training teams of economic development specialists into different regions in the UK. So I've got to hop over to England in a couple of minutes to continue the work there.
0: So I actually was going to say, you should, I want you to do that here, right? So that should be your next program is to do that with the economic development, uh, Ecosystem. There's about 400 people doing economic development in New Brunswick alone, and I think they could benefit from this uh, expertise. Just finally, then, uh, Durendra, if people want to know more they, about, they the can program, simply where do they
3: email go? me. That'll be the best way possible. Uh, dshukla at unb.ca. I'm easy to find. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, connected to email. You know, I'm, I'm a very accessible person. And, and please, I would encourage anyone and everyone to reach out and, and let's get the ball moving and create this uh, momentum and excitement uh, about the, I, I, which you saw my email to you, momentum about the scale-up movement.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on the Insights Podcast.
2: Thank you, David. A lot of fun to reconnect, David.
1: You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.